So for the last, been over a month now, we've been focusing in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to, because it's been five weeks or so, I'm going to recap some things before I move on because it's, it's, it's just important. Um, so if, good for you. If you weren't here, you're going to get a, a really quick synopsis of where we've been um, so that we can continue where we're going. Because we're going we're gonna to hang out with Ephesians until we, we get to missions emphasis in November. Um, so <clears throat> the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in chains in a Roman prison. And he wrote it to the people uh, in, the, in the city of Ephesus. And obviously it was circulated after that and, and shared. But he was at the end of his life, um, and he had the opportunity to look back on all the work he'd done, all of his experiences, all his learning. And so Ephesians, you, um, you will rarely, if at all, find anything in Ephesians that's new information that Paul hasn't talked about somewhere else in one of his letters. And he, he's kind of summarizing everything and kind of bullet pointing and making things important. And in it, as we looked, we discovered uh, in the first three chapters, he talks about the work of Christ. And we asked the question, who are we as, as followers of Jesus Christ? Who are we? And Paul articulated four things in there. Paul articulated that one, we are loved by God. That's who we are. We are loved by God. Um, I'm not going to re-preach all these because we have a lot to cover today, but that we are saved from death to life. We sang about that this morning, right? That God plucked us from death, from things leading to death, and he saved us to life by his power because Jesus Christ died, broke the curse of death, and rose again. And so that we are saved from death to life. We're also God's handiwork, or in some translations, his masterpiece, that his work in us uh, in transforming us and making us new is not only for our benefit, but it displays the character and qualities of God to the world around us as we become his handiwork and his masterpiece. And then lastly, we said we are one body. We're part of a really big family that maybe has different emphasis in, in worship style and these kinds of things, but for those who believe in Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior and trust in his work on the cross for their eternity, we're one family with different gifts. And so that's who we are. And then Ephesians goes in in chapters 4 and chapters 5 and a little bit of chapter 6, and, and we looked at it and we said, hey, in light of who we are, what do we do? Because faith has to uh, manifest itself in action. That you can't claim to, to be somebody and then never operate or never do it. It's like, it's like making a chair and never sitting in it. Like faith, James tells us, faith without works or without action is, really isn't faith at all. It's dead. And so in light of who we are, what is it that we do? And we, and we saw this. That in light of being loved, in response, we love. Scripture tells us we love because he first loved us. And so, who do we love? We love God, and we love others. And I know others is like an exclusionary term, but, but guess what? Uh, others, for me, is everybody but me. So, we love God, and we love other people. Second, we, we pursue transformation. That we realize that, hey, uh, God is calling us to something different, to something better, to something life-giving, and we pursue that transformation in our life. Whether it's the transformation of thinking, whether it's the transformation of acting, we pursue transformation. The third thing we do is we submit to God's work, His handiwork. If we're going to be God's masterpiece or His handiwork, we have to allow God to do His work in us. So we submit to that work. We come in alignment with, we agree with, we give ourselves to the work that God wants to do in our life. So we submit to God's work. And lastly, we pursue, because we're part of a, of a body, one body, we pursue the, the unity and the maturity of that body. That's important to us. We, 
we work at it, we give our efforts to it, we pursue unity and maturity. And then we, those were kind of general, and then over the last three weeks, we've kind of teased those out a little bit, right? We, we talked about the, the motives and then the tools of transformation that God uses in our life. And all of these things you can go on to our, our website and listen to these sermons if any of them intrigue you and you want to hear it more in depth. But we talked about that, what motivates us to be transformed? And then not, not only what motivates us, but what tools does God use in that transforming process? And so we, we looked and we talked about that. And then Pastor Sean preached a, a great sermon about the attributes of unity and maturity in the body of Christ. What are the, what are the specifics around unity and maturity that we should be aspiring to incorporate? And then last week, uh, Jim talked about the gifts God has given to the individuals, as he called the spoils of victory, to accomplish the mission of the church, right? Let me pause here for a minute and say this. I want to amen Jim's desire to see spiritual gifts at work in our church. That's when oftentimes people ask me, well, what are the difference between denominations of churches? Okay, this is one of those examples of differences that a Pentecostal church believes in the current power and working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believer. That the, the spiritual gifts talked about in Scripture are relevant and available for us to use today. Not only available, but expected that we'd be at use in our lives as well as in, in our worship time. And, and my, my uh, drive as a pastor is I want authenticity. So I'm not going to do things that are going to Gonna, they're not going to be fake use of gifts. But we desire authentic use of the gifts of the Spirit in our church services. And so that's one of the differences. Some denominations don't believe that the gifts are for today. They were for a different era. And, and you know what? We're, we don't fight with them. They're our brothers and sisters. That's what they believe. But a Pentecostal church believes. And, and we desire that as a church. So just to... Uh, Amen, Jim's comment from, from last week. But that God has gifted us, the individual, with the spoils of victory so that we can accomplish the mission that God has given us. And you say, well, what's that mission? Well, it's, we post it everywhere around the church, and it's the same mission for every single uh, Christ follower and every single Christ-centered organization on the planet. Their mission is the same. They may articulate it differently, but it's the same. That's to love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love one another. Go out to all the world to make disciples. That's the mission of the church or any Christ-centered person or organization. Now, a lot of churches go, go about doing these things in different ways. The things that God is passionate for them. And I want to take a, just a brief moment here before we move on to Ephesians to summarize this and what that means for us at faith. Okay? In light of God's uh, uh, mission, Christ's mission given to us to love God, to love each other, and to make disciples, in light of the book of Ephesians and what we've been studying and looking at, uh, what is faith assembly of God? What kind of place is faith assembly of God in all of that? Right? What, what can you expect that we're aspiring, that the, the pastoral staff and the leadership team here at Faith, what are we aspiring to create here at 154 Burses Way? You say, well, it's a church. Yes, it is a church. But every church kind of has a niche in how they see things and how they approach and the activities that they're involved in. So let me summarize this for you. The three things that are very important to us as a, as a, to me as the pastor and as the leadership team, that one, that faith is a place to believe in Jesus Christ. That we will, we will preach the word of God, that we will encourage your, your relationship with Jesus Christ, that we will lead you in that way, that we will look for the fullness of Jesus Christ in our lives. It's just a place to believe in Christ, that you're going to hear Jesus Christ in this place. That Jesus will be pursued in this place, a relationship with him, and the various aspects that go around that. 
The second thing that we strive to do is that faith is a place to belong to community. In light of the fact that we are one body, and we're all different members, we have different gifts, we're all unique individuals, we're, we're right? Uh, I certainly think we're unique. I'm a different minister than the, than the two guys who are up here that you've heard recently, and I'm a different minister than from Brenna Kate, who you're going to hear next week. Like, we're, God just made us different with different abilities and gifts and passions and all those kinds of things, but we're one body. That's part of belonging to community. So this is a place that you can belong, that your uniqueness can be valued and used for the kingdom of God. And it gives us a place to learn how to love one another. Right? Third thing that's important to us, and you'll recognize that we're using all B words, is to become your calling. You know, we could just say, hey, that's like making disciples. But that, that kind of says, well, that's what we do to somebody else. Become your calling is who am I? This is a place where I can discover, develop, and deploy the gifts that God has given me. That I'm a unique individual, uh, been given the spoils of victory, as Jim said last week, and, and I need to discover what those things that God has given me, and then I need to learn how do I use those for, for God's purposes? How do I use those to, to accomplish the mission that God has given us. And we want faith to be a place that you discover those things, that you develop those things, and then we, we deploy you in using those things. So that you become your calling, who God has designed you to be. That's the kind of place that we're focusing on here at Faith Assembly of God. Believe in Christ, belong to community, and become your calling. And may I say that we are growing in this. We have not mastered these in any way, shape, or form. This is our heart's desire, and this is what we're focusing on. Amen? Amen. So Ephesians sets the tone for all of this activity for us, this who are we, right? We're loved. We're part of a body. We're his masterpiece, right? We're, who are we? What do we do? In light of that, it sets all of this tone. But we're, we're not done with Ephesians yet. Because Paul, after articulating who we are and what we do, he slightly shifts his focus. In Ephesians 6.10, after, after going through two, two chapters and nine verses of what we should be doing, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Say, that's interesting. Is this like a secondary, oh no, oh, I need to make sure I encourage them in this way too. I don't think so. Paul has had the, Paul has had the advantage of looking over his life and being able to articulate in a nice flow who we are and what we do. So why all of a sudden at the end now he says, hey, be strong in the Lord. What is Paul getting at? Well, Paul is encouraging them to be strong in the conflict. And you say, what conflict? I thought once I came to know Jesus Christ and I invited him into my life, things would get better. I don't know if you were sold on that when you were uh, a new believer or a, a previous believer. Like, hey, you come to Jesus and man, life, it's like heaven on earth. And if you're like me, you discovered that that wasn't true. In fact, uh, if you were like me, when you began to believe in Christ and grow in your faith, uh, all of a sudden, conflicts that didn't exist all of a sudden started popping up. Right? I mean, think about it. When Paul writes who we are and what we do. When he says, believe in Christ and you grow in your faith and worship to God, how many know that there's conflict around that? As soon as you start to believe in Jesus Christ and you start to apply yourself to growing in faith, all of a sudden there are things that are coming against that. Am I, I, I'm the only one in, that this happens to? You're all like, huh, I'm not sure. 
just the look on your face, I was like, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong room. There's a conflict. All of a sudden, like, you start talking about your faith in Jesus Christ, and somebody says, oh, I don't believe that garbage. Right? And they start coming at you like, no, that's not true. This, this, because this, and the atheistic, and the scientific, and the, and the, and the universalist view. And Oh my gosh, there's a conflict now for what I believe in. Or you start changing your, your, your life and who the people you're hanging out with or the activities you're involved in. All of a sudden your friends are like, what's the matter? You're holier than thou? You don't like us anymore? Like, right? They, all of a sudden now you're just like, What's wrong with you? What happened to you? I like the old you better. Like, right? There's this conflict now all of a sudden. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to live. I'm trying to be. And now all of a sudden, it's, this is like getting hard. How, when you begin to be transformed in your thinking, when you begin to read God's word, and all of a sudden your eyes are like, wow, I never saw this. This makes so much sense. And then you go out, and all of a sudden there's conflict around what you're learning and what you're reading, and in your transformation process, there's a conflict. When you begin to throw off your old self and begin to embrace the new creation that God has created you, there's conflict around that, isn't there? You all know this conflict? When you begin to love other people the way God wants you to love them, what happens? There's conflict, isn't there? I, I, I don't know the number of people I've heard this say, man, I love God, but I, I don't love his people. We've all felt that, right? Well, there's a conflict sometimes when God says, hey, I want you to go love that person. You're like, uh-uh. Like, right? That's a conflict, isn't it? There's a conflict that involves around, geez, doing this thing the way God wants, it's not so easy. When we begin to work towards unity and maturity in the community of believers, guess what? There's conflict in that, isn't there? You guys have never had a conflict with another church member? Okay. I'm just making sure because you're like, huh, I don't know what's he talking about. Like, that's like 99% of the reason why people leave churches. It's not because of the doctrine being preached from the pulpit. It's because they had a conflict with somebody else within the body of Christ. So when we begin to try to become a community of believers, like a family that's working together like Zip talked about, like the team. Hey, we're going to bring ourselves together as a team. All, all of a sudden, all this conflict starts. Next thing you know, people are upset and angry and doing this and doing that. When you begin to discover, develop, and deploy your God-given gifts, how many know there's conflict around that? Right? You start becoming everything that God created and designed you to be, and it's, it's not easy. It's work. And it seems like there's some opposition against it. And you're like, why? When you begin to affect the lives of other people for Jesus Christ, there's conflict. Now, we often think conflict like I'm, I'm referring to conflict like we see in Iran where pastors are being arrested and beaten and tortured and thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. If you were unaware of that, I encourage you to go do a simple internet search. And there are pastors all over the world who, who their doors are being kicked in, they're being beaten in front of their families and dragged to prison from anywhere from 6 to 20 years for, pre, for leading a church. There's a conflict that happens. There's that level of conflict and then there's really small conflict that's just a slight tension that it, it's just hard and, and everything in between. And we're going to spend some significant time over the next couple weeks talking about this conflict because you know what? We don't, it's not being talked about. We take church time for, to encourage people and, and, you know, fluff them up and, you know, and yay and hurrah and go on out, but Every single one of us, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ with your life, have encountered conflict around uh, what the world says and does and what Scripture says we should do and do. Right? 
let me know that you, yes, you too? Okay. It's a real thing. And guess what? Every single writer in the New Testament talks about it. Every single one. Jesus told his disciples, guess what? Um, They did it to me, they're going to do it to you. You will have trouble in this world. He just was point blank like this. If you're looking for a life of zero trouble, following Jesus is not the way you should go. I mean, I'm not trying to talk you out of following Jesus, but uh, it's a false gospel for me to tell you that your life is going to be miraculously a walk in the park from now until the day you die. I think what people were trying to communicate was that when you follow Jesus and you've sold out to him, there's an inner peace and an inner joy that comes that you would not have if you weren't. And when you have an inner peace and an inner joy that comes with following Jesus Christ, you can face all the troubles, conflicts, hardships that come your way. But we are not. I mean, Paul himself, if you read the book of Acts, if you read any of his letters, uh, I think Paul is the is the, other than Jesus Christ, is the human example of suffering for the gospel's sake. Beaten, shipwrecked, kicked out of towns, thrown in prison unjustly, uh, the list goes on and on and on. When I was a seminary student, I was like, Lord, I want to go be your man, but I don't, just don't send me like you did Paul. Right? Who wants to sign up for that? So, we're going to talk about conflict over the next couple of weeks. And I want to sh- we're going to talk about uh, Scripture, where Scripture says how we handle conflict. But today I'm going to talk to you about the source of conflict. Where, where does the conflict come from? Okay? Oh, you're so excited. Like, like, we all try to avoid conflict so much. It would be good to know where conflict comes from before you can figure out how to deal with it, right? So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, Paul said this, Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, and if you grew up in church, you've heard this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying that the source of our conflict is in the unseen. Okay? It's source. So the conflict that you might be fa- facing that you can see, that you can hear, that you can read, is real conflict, but it's not the source of the conflict. It's the manifestation from the source. Let me give you an example, uh, military terms. When a soldier is engaged in a battle, pick any of the wars, any of the battles, and they're fighting that battle, that conflict is not the source of their battle. The source is some um, power or some king or, or some government that is wanting to, to overtake, to exert, to whatever. And that conflict that that soldier's fighting is a manifestation of the source of the decisions being made in another room. Right? So the, the soldier's fighting a battle against pro- potentially someone who's just like them. Think the mo- most eye-opening thing if you go to the beaches of Normandy in France is that you have the the U.S. cemetery, and down the road you have the German cemetery. And when you walk by and you look at the gravestones, you realize that these were men and women who were just like each other. They both went to church on Sundays. They actually worshipped the same Jesus. They had families. They were married. Yet they were fighting each other. So their conflict wasn't with necessarily with each other. It was with a source behind the scenes that they couldn't see. That was the source. The conflict was real, but the source of the conflict was somewhere else. 
And that's what Paul is saying to us. That the manifestations, the conflicts that you're in are real, but the source of those conflicts is not what you're seeing. The source is unseen. And it's the unseen forces of evil that are the source of the conflict. So know that your fight is not against the flesh and blood that you see, but against Satan, demonic forces, spiritual realms that are driving the conflict. Does that make sense? Rationalists, think about this. God is pure. God is holy. Right? And any time you, you have good, pure, holy, and you have uh, evil trying to overlap, there's conflict. So if you're pursuing God that's good, that's perfect, there's holy, and you have there's any level of evil around, there's a tension there, there's a conflict. It's like a, it's like a, uh, um, we had a thunderstorm last week that I drove through. It's like when the cold air and the hot air meet each other, you have this, this boom. So this conflict manifests itself in three arenas. And I'm going to show you, show you scriptures because we need to identify, I grew up in church, that the devil was blamed for all conflict, which was true. But depending how that, that conflict is manifesting itself really depends how we respond to it. Okay? Let me exp- let me, you, you'll understand it as we, as we move through. The first place, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes to the church, he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do what you want. What is Paul saying? That there is a conflict inside of you. The first place here we see today is that there is a conflict between what is good and what is fleshly, which the fleshly is mostly driven by the carnal mind, it's, it's driven by selfish desires, it's driven by the effects of the fall of evil, and that they're in conflict with each other. So guess what? Some of the conflict that you, you go through when you're pursuing God is, is, comes from within you. It's manifesting the conflicts in you. It's not mean, evil people. It's not some supernatural devil coming down. It's, it's in you because, because there's evil inside of you that, that God is trying to dispel and make you holy, which never will not come to its fullness until we're in heaven with him. Paul writes again to uh, the Romans in Romans 7, 21 through 24. So I find this law at work, and I encourage you to read the whole chapter. I just didn't want to spend the time to read all of it. He says, although I want to do good... Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I delight. I want to do what God wants me to do. But I see another thing at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin that's at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? So Paul says... Paul talks about this inner conflict, this, I have this desire to do what God wants me to do, but then there's this other thing within me that just drives me and tries to kill me. That's just it's the devil. <laughs> he says, it's just, there's this other piece of me that just, man, pulls me away from wanting to do what is good. And I hope every single one of you in this room has felt that. Because if you haven't felt that, chances are you're not trying to pursue God. You're just pursuing your own desires. But when someone really pursues God and seeks transformation, seeks to love other people, seeks to be a part of the body, there's an internal conflict that starts to generate that we have to fight what's coming from within ourselves. Oh. I'm pushing on some toes because we, we live in a society where we don't want to be told we're the problem. Sometimes the conflict all around you is because of you. 
because of me. I'm wrestling with the holiness of God, and God, I don't, man, I want to be close to you, but I really don't want to give that part of my life up. Oh, well, now there's a fight. There's a conflict inside of me that I'm wrestling with, and sometimes I'll point to all kinds of things. Oh, it's those people over there. I can't believe the pastor said this. But the conflict is in here. So we need to recognize that the conflict, although its source is evil, it's spiritual, dark spiritual realms that don't want you to get close, the source of it, it's that, but it's manifesting itself within your own being. I'm assuming every one of us has felt those, uh, that conflict internally. And we're going to talk about this in upcoming weeks. I just want to leave you hanging here. The key here is, is to not justify it. It's to address it. Because oftentimes we justify that conflict within us. I'm justified to feel this way because of fill in the blank. And we're going to talk about the resources in the upcoming weeks, what God has given us to fight the fight and to stand strong in the conflict. Because God has given us resources in order to stand strong. Let's keep moving. So the first place it manifests itself is inside of us. There's an internal conflict that exists. And uh, and it needs to be engaged and not... not, um, Dismissed. The second thing, uh, which I think is the one that we're all most familiar with, in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, uh, Paul's talking, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Most obvious form of conflict is between people. Right? We have conflict. We have, we have conflict with our best friend. We have conflict with family. We have conflict uh, with strangers. Um, conflict is everywhere. You can't avoid conflict. I mean, I guess... You could if you locked yourself in a room when nobody was there. But even if you were there with only one other person, your best friend, at some point you're going to have conflict. Right? And so here you have believers. We're not talking about non-Christian and Christian. We're talking about believers. One believed, hey, no, no, you, Jesus came and we believe in him for salvation, but you have to follow the law of Moses too. And others are saying, no, 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 no. The law of Moses is here. We don't, with Christ did away with that part of the, you know. And so they're, they're in a dispute. They're in a debate over it. Another example in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Paul's writing, he says, When Cephas, who was Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from, uh, came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. See, Peter and Paul had a conflict. And Paul's arguing here like, that clearly Peter was in the wrong, that Peter's desire to not be uh, looked badly with his Jewish friends resulted in him uh, mistreating the Gentiles. And Paul was pointing it out. So I'm going to let's a conflict. We get in those conflicts, don't we? It's a quiet group today. It's like, man, he's talking about conflict. I'm not saying a word. I might be in conflict with him. These kinds of conflicts happen in the church I would guess weekly you disagree somebody reads this oh, I disagree with that or, or you didn't really treat someone the way you should have or you shouldn't have said that or um, I didn't like the way they looked at me when I told them I couldn't volunteer Wh- whatever right there's just 
it's just conflict. You guys know when conflict's at. Like, and, you know, and you know, we just learned this in the staff meeting a couple weeks ago, like, how to pay attention so you know like, that you yourself at least are in conflict maybe is, is the emotional side of you. There's certain things that happen, right? Maybe you, you clench your jaw or you, uh, your hands start getting you know, sweaty or, or your heart rate starts right? You know, or you get rigid, right? I can always know when something's going on with my wife because the way she walks. And she tries to hide it, but she can't. I've just, I'm, I've known her for 26 years. Like, oh, something's going on. What's going on, honey? Nothing. Oh, don't lie to me. Like, I can tell by the way you walk, something's up. Pay attention to these things in your own life. You'll realize, wait a minute, for some reason, I mean, something's conflicting. I need to figure this out. Anyway, happens in with monks believers. And then, obviously, um, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. So sometimes our conflict externally, our external conflict with people can be minor over over small things. Um, you know, maybe you know, I wanted garlic bread for dinner, but I didn't get garlic bread, and my son wanted something else, and so there's a little bit of a conflict, but that's not a big deal. We can work through that. And sometimes it's this huge conflict, like he's talking about Alexander the metalworker. Like, he strongly opposed us and did us a lot of harm. It's conflict. Lastly, so we have an internal conflict. We have an external uh, with others conflict. And lastly, there is a very real spiritual conflict in the spiritual realm where it's not necessarily has a, a person or a group of people face. It's driven solely by um, spiritual things. In Acts chapter 13, verses 6 through 8, uh, it says, They traveled through the whole island until they came to pa- Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, who was the kind of the reigning ruler of that area, an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So you have this leader of the area who wants to hear their message, but then he has this, this guy named Bar-Jesus who's serving for him. Uh, but Bar-Jesus, Elymas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, Oppose them and try to turn the proconsul from the faith. So it's just a very spiritual, uh, you know, demonically driven uh, conflict. That it wasn't just a conflict of opinions. It wasn't two people trying to figure things out. It wasn't that he just really disliked. It was, it was purely in the spiritual realm. He tried to turn him from the faith. And then Paul writes in Corinthians about another conflict. He said, For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. And sometimes when you're trying to do something for the Lord, sometimes when you're moving forward, so you go through these seasons where there's just conflict everywhere. And you go, This isn't a coincidence. Sean and I have had these conversations sometimes when we're, we're trying to do things maybe through the church or try to institute or teach or lead somebody or those kinds of things. It's just like, man, there's just everywhere we turn, there's opposition. And you start to realize it's not a person. It's just Satan who's working through circumstances, who's working through individuals to, to stop this, nip it in the bud or, or prevent it. There's conflict in the spiritual realm. And if you look through the eyes of conflict and you read Scripture, you realize that Scripture addresses all three of these conflicts. Conflicts within us, conflicts with others, and conflicts with the spiritual realm. Those are the three arenas that we have conflicts in. And as, you, as we're going to see in, in, uh, in the upcoming weeks, it's important for you to understand where the conflict is. We know its source is, is evil, that... that Satan does not want us to mature. He does not want us to grow in Christ. He does not want us to develop. He doesn't want any of those things. 
But sometimes the source of the conflict is in here. Sometimes it's with a person. Sometimes it's in the spiritual realm. And how you address it and how you deal with it matters depending where, that, where, where the conflict is. I mean, to give military terms, if, if the conflict is out on the ocean, we don't deploy the Navy. I mean, we don't deploy the Army. Like, get the tanks ready, get the troops ready, we're going to storm. Well, there's a conflict. Well, the conflict's over here. Why is all this important? It's important because in Ephesians 6, 10 through 11, I'm closing with this. Paul recognizes that when we begin to realize who we are in Christ, when we begin to realize the power made available to us, the hope that's found in Christ, when we begin to place our faith and believe and lay hold of those truths, and then we begin to act uh, out of our belief in those uh, those truths, and we begin to serve God and grow in Him and make an impact, conflict comes. It's inevitable. It comes. And it comes to slow you down, prevent you, set you back from moving forward in all that God has for you. Not only for you personally, but for the body that you're a part of and and for the larger community, the church as a whole. He comes to oppose you. And if you haven't figured out already, the devil will use every single means necessary, every opportunity to do that. He'll use your own desires against you. Right? He'll use your own weaknesses against you, your own hurts and your own pains against you. He'll use others to oppose you and go against you. And sometimes, just use the spiritual, I'm like, where it's coming from everywhere. Like, I don't know how he's doing this, but he... But you just feel it like this. It's obvious that it's in the spiritual realm. He comes to oppose you. But here's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. He says, finally, knowing this, that as you begin to walk in this, be strong in the Lord. And in whose power? If that's not a relief for somebody... Be strong in his power. Thank God. I don't have to muster up the strength to do this on my own. I don't got to be smarter than the devil or stronger than the devil or outwit the devil. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to like, figure this all out and read multitudes of books and get a strategy plan against the devil. Like, I can be strong. He, what Paul is saying is, is God has provided you the resources to stand. Be strong in his mighty power Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because, church, I want to see God uh, glorified in this place. I want to see lives transformed. I want to see young people and old people passionate, excited for their faith and for, for God working in their life. And I want to hear, I want to see testimonies of where God has moved in powerful ways in people's lives, whether that be physical, spiritual, relational. All the things that we see and we read that are promised in this book, I believe they're for today. But the reality is we have a force that opposes us. It's evil. The Bible calls his name Satan, the devil, Beelzebub. Lots of different names for him in the Bible. Just doesn't want to see any of that happen. Wants to stop it in its tracks. Wants to oppose. And will will do anything he can to do that. We need to be aware of that. And we need to have the right tools, the right resources in place so when we face that, we can just apply those and continue moving forward. Oftentimes, we, uh, you know, the devil's standing in, in, in the road with a semi-automatic machine gun and we show up with a BB gun. But God's given us every resource we need to to walk in everything he, of who we are and what we're to do. 
He's empowered us. He's given us what we need to stand against those devil schemes in our personal life, with those around us, and in the, in the larger spiritual picture so that, so that we, you win. Amen? There's a conflict when talking about conflict. But I pray that your, our eyes will be open to the hope found in Jesus Christ, to the power that is available to you and to me, so that the devil stops winning in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our church. At some point, we draw a line in the sand and we say, devil, no more. I'm going to use the resources that God has given me and this stops now. And if you're still wondering about, well, pastor, I don't really know of any, any conflict. I challenge you this week to go home and pray and say, God, would you show me the conflict that exists that, that is keeping me, my church, my family from moving forward in all that you have for me. Maybe you want to use a different word. There's a tension that exists. There's a battle that exists. But every single one of us in this room, there's conflict somewhere in our lives where the source of it is evil and it's designed to stop you and prevent you from being and using all that God has given you. And I know for me, the pastoral staff, and for the leadership team, uh, we're determined to do something about it. Right, Pastor Sean? We've made a decision. We said no more. We are, we, we are going to be a place that we believe in Jesus Christ and there's energy around that, that, that we are a community of, of believers that belong to each other and we're a team and we work together for the goodness and, and, and the moving forward of God and that people within our community are becoming everything that God designed them to be and they're growing and, and they're excited for their faith and they're excited for how God's created them and they have hope and they have vision and they have a future. Isn't that what you want? Well, how come we don't have it? Because there's a conflict. And it may be unseen. And uh, today we just lifted up the devil's skirt. So be aware of the conflict. Today's message is simply awareness. That there's a conflict around your life, around your church, and around your family. And the devil means to prevent you from being everything that God desires you to be. And we're going to learn in the next few weeks how to deal with that conflict. And you say, well, what, how's Brenna going to contribute to that? When we talk about loving people well and being a community of believers, there's a conflict that arises when, uh, when people have life-controlling issues and they're part of our community. Right? There's a conflict that arises if somebody who was struggling with their sexuality or they were struggling with a life addiction walked in this door and wanted to be a part of us a body of believers. How many know churches have split over this conflict? It's very important that she come and talk to us. Anyway, I don't want to keep you here longer than we need to be. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that on from the beginning of your ministry, long before you even uh, went to the cross, you told your disciples that as followers of you, they would, they would face trouble, that life wouldn't be a walk in the park. 
But right away you told them, take heart, for I've overcome the world. That even though you face troubles and persecution or conflict or any of those things, that the power through you and the resources that you give us are more than enough to compensate for the conflict and the trouble that we face because of following you. And so, Lord, today I pray for our church. I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. I pray, Lord, that uh, our awareness of, of conflict for the life of the Christian would be there. That, that the silly notion that once we come to Jesus Christ, our, our life is hunky-dory and we can just sit back in a lazy river down and, and just wait for heaven is foolishness and nonsense. And Lord, although this may be discouraging to some, the encouraging piece is this. Intuitively, we all know that life is full of conflict. And Lord, instead of trying to avoid it and try to to skirt the edges or, or, or try to dismiss it, Lord, you've given us tools, you've given us resources to just confront conflict, to work through it, to overcome, and to continue moving on that you have provided us with your power, with your strength, that everything that you had at your disposal is available to us. And so, Lord, we look forward to the next couple of weeks where we will discover those resources that you have made available to us. Again, more of the spoils of victory. And so, Lord, I pray today as we leave this place that that you would encourage our hearts that, one, that uh, any of the conflicts that we're facing in our, in our life as it, relo- as, as it relates to you and pursuing you is normal. That we're not strange, we're not weird, it, it's, not, it's not we're cursed or any of that kind of thing because we are struggling, but that it's actually normal and you told us we would have it. And second, the encouragement, Lord, that you provided us everything we need to overcome these struggles, this conflict, this trouble that we face because of our decision to follow you. Lord, may your Holy Spirit go with us. Lead us, guide us in your ways. We ask in your holy name. Amen.